This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. This week's Pasha is Pasha's Tazria. Talks about when a woman gives birth. Also, talks about the halachas of Tsaras. Tsaras is when somebody, well, it works like this. There's three places that you can find Tsaras. Tsaras is a, is a leprosy, um, but it's not a physical ailment. It's not something that you can catch from someone else. It comes from a person who talks Lashon Hara. So it comes down to three things. It comes on a person's house. It comes on a person's clothing. And then it comes on a person's skin itself. So the reason it comes on a house first is Hashem wants to give you a warning. So first he puts it on your house. And if you... Thank you. And if you don't pick up on... The punishment, you don't do tshuva, then it gets closer to you, goes onto your clothing. And in Kuchas Shalom, you still don't get the picture, it ends up on your skin. Very, very fascinating halacha in Saras. And halacha is, uh, it's very, very, it's, it's, it's called the nige, a tumma, and it has many, many, many halachas. When you look at it, the size of the white and the beheres and how deep it looks and there's all kinds of halachas. But there's one very interesting halacha, girls. And that's if somebody's whole body is white, right? Whole body is like this disease is on the whole body. He's tahar. He's not tome at all. So they ask if a little white sign shows that you're tome, that you're impure, Surely, if your whole body is white, you're impure. So why would the rabbi, why would the Torah tell us that if a person's whole body is full of tzaras from head to toe, you're not tummy at all? So I heard a few answers last night. One answer is that if this person has this white from his head to his toe all over his body, he's so ashamed, right, that it's on his whole body, he's so ashamed that automatically... That's a tshuva for him. So one thing you have, you have a little bit, it's covered up, nobody sees it, right? If you have it from head to toe, everybody sees it. So that embarrassment alone is a tshuva. Why altogether? We know he has to leave the machina. It's very embarrassing. Because what does Lashon Hara do, girls? When you say something bad about someone else, what does it do? It causes the other person to be embarrassed. You're saying something bad about them, right? You're spreading Lashon Hara about them. So sort of the me that can make it is... So, also, another thing about Lashon Hara is when you talk bad about someone, you never would say it to their face. You say it behind their back. You tell somebody else about them. So, it's stuff that you do behind, and you know, there's a lot of drama. We have a lot of drama in our life. I'm not going to say especially girls, but there's a lot of drama, right? So, so you have to be very, very careful. You talk about someone behind their back. So now what Hashem does is He gives that person saras. Now everybody knows that this person is a Lashon Hara talker. No one wants to be friends with a girl who's going to talk about my, behind my back, bad about me. So automatically, the minute this person has Saras, it's sort of a big flashing sign to everybody. This is a gossip monger. This is someone who talks Lush and Hara. So you're trying to hurt people without them knowing, talking behind their back. So what does Hashem do? He puts this sign on you, this white leprosy, and everyone's like, uh uh-uh, uh, I don't want to hang with her. I don't want to be friends with her because she's, she's a Lush and Hara talker. So one of the reasons that a person's tar of his whole body is full of, is white, is because of his, of, because of his embarrassment. 
Another reason is that the whole thing is a sign of white is if you have skin and you have a sign of white. If the whole body's white, so then it's not a sign. If the whole body was white and there's just a spot of skin, then there's a sign. But if the whole body's white, so it's not, it's not, it's not an imperfection, it's not a sign. So therefore, a person who has, who has saras, but saras is a, is a spiritual element that shows itself, um, that shows itself physically. It's something that I, that, um, I was just in, actually in California last Shabbos for Shabbaton. And, and lately, I don't know why, but I'm dealing with, this week I dealt with it, I actually dealt with it today, uh, with girls who are, who think they are atheists, who decide that they don't believe in Hashem. And it's coming from the most religious places. And, and um, of course, there is no one that's an atheist, like I told the girl today, because an atheist means that you studied everything and you disproved it. I said, like, where do you have a right to come into my office and just be such an atheist so fast? Atheists have to work on it, right? So you have to study all the Torah, all Kabbalah, all the Zohar, all the Medrash, all the Sifrei, Kabbalah, Sifrei Musr, that all the rabbis wrote. You have to say for Habria, say for Yitzira, and disprove it. And if you can disprove it, then you're an atheist. You can't just walk into my office and say, I don't believe. What, what don't you believe in? God, you don't know anything about him. It's like somebody walking into a Floridian saying, I don't believe in snow, because they never saw snow. Okay, so study snow. You know what I mean? I don't believe that there's such a thing as germs. Right? I can walk in here and say, I don't believe that... What do you need? The card? Okay. Um, I don't believe that there's such a thing as germs. Right? In this room right now, somebody is coughing. Right? And I'm like, you know, you got to do me a favor. Could you cover your mouth? Like, there's a bunch of girls in this room. I don't want you to catch it. And she's like, what do you mean cover my mouth? Why should I cover my mouth? I'm like, well, you might have, like, strep, and you're coughing all over everybody, and they're all going to get strep, and no one's going to show up next week for my share. That's not, that's not, that's not what we're bothering about you getting strep, but right? So, imagine, imagine if this happened in this room right now. Right, Malka? There's a girl, she's coughing away, right? And you walk over, Malka's very holistic and into health, and she says, uh, Shefullah, I think you need to walk out because maybe what you have is like catchy. And she says to Malka, excuse me, what do you mean catchy? What do you think I have? I don't know, pneumonia, bronchitis, strep, I don't know. There's no such thing. But, but germs, I don't believe in germs. You see germs? Anybody in this room see germs? You see germs? Thank you. Unless I'm a germ. You don't see germs, right? So, I'm going to sit here, and I'm going to cough on all of you a whole night, because I don't believe in germs. Why don't you believe in germs? Because I can't see it. And I can't feel it. And I can't smell it. And I can't hear it. And I can't taste it. And God gave me five senses. Right? Taste, touch, smell, hear, see. And none of those senses are in contact with a germ. So I'm going to sit here the rest of the night, ladies, and cough all over you. So what would you tell her? What would you tell her? She doesn't believe in germs. You'd get up and walk out, probably. But what would you tell her? How could you prove her in this room tonight that there's such a thing as germs? 
Right, it's an emotion. What? How would you prove it to her? You don't have one here. What? I don't hear you. What do you mean? In, in the world of atheism, in the world of Amalek, it's, you just have bad luck. You, caught, you got a cold. They don't believe in anything. So I don't, I, I don't, I don't, I, I, you, you're bad, you're not lucky. They don't believe in Hashkacha practice. So you know what? Some people get sick. Stop, they just get sick. Not from outside germs, from inside germs. So I can't give you germs, they're in my body. So you're going to say to her, okay, um, tomorrow would you like to come with me? We're going to go to lab and we're going to take a piece of your skin and we're going to put it under a microscope and we're going to see all these cells moving around or blood or whatever and those are and those are things you can't see without a microscope so there's a whole world right there's a whole world going on in this room right now if you saw the amount of germs that are flying around in this room you would not come to my share or any share or any class or walk outside you'd be walking around I was on a plane coming home there was this Chinese lady sitting one row behind me and the whole plane ride she had a white mask on her face not stupid smart Smart, because in a plane, guess what happens? They take the air, and they continuously put it through, filter, put it through. They don't get air from outside. The air outside is 48 degrees below zero. No, no, I've seen this many times. There's a whole thing. I read a whole thing. I have to tell you that I have a sinus infection. Not catchy. Sinus infection is not catchy. But anyway, right? Let's, no, it's not catchy. But anyway, but I felt I got... I, I, I was on a plane and on a plane and, went, and I flew to Chicago, flew there, flew there, flew there. So the, the doctors tell you to build yourself up before you go on a plane. Take acidophilus, right? You're supposed to take acidophilus. You're supposed to take a lot of vitamin C because your air is regurgitated the whole time. So everyone's germs with coughing, it sucks it up and puts it out again. There's no outside air coming into the plane. So yeah, I've seen more than one person come on and wear a mask while they're sitting on the plane. So this girl doesn't believe in germs. So... We got to go and take it to look under a microscope. So I told the girl that was in my office today, you don't believe in God. We got to look under a microscope. You can't just sit there and say, I don't believe in God because I don't see him. You don't see germs. You don't see dust. You don't see radio waves. Right now, there's a girl in the back. I'm making it up. No one's in the back with her phone. But let's say there's a girl in the back with her phone. Or let's say there's a girl in the front with her... Why are you laughing? Let's say there's a girl... Let's say Nadine... Sitting in the front row, and she's a today, so she would never take out her phone. But let's say she would take out her phone right now, and she would text her kids to make sure they're all home. Now, she's sitting there with her phone in front, and she's getting a text from her kids, which means that there's a text coming through that door, through all you girls, into her phone. Above your girls, underneath your girls, somehow there's a text that's, that's coming into her phone. And... If I were to put on a radio right behind me with all the FM and AM and XFM and all those stations and I would switch from, there's a thousand channels and switch those channels, every one of them will make music and, or have someone talking on it. Hello? There are millions of waves going through all your bodies right now. Telephone waves, radio waves, and guess what? There are pictures of people going through all your bodies right now. If I took a TV and I put it right here and I turned it on, right? There'd be people dancing and stuff. Hello? 
Coming into this room right now, movies, television, radio waves, and who knows what the government's putting through here, right? And, and telephone waves, and none of you see any of it. Why not? Why don't you see it? You don't even feel it. You don't even hear it. Why don't you feel all these waves? And the answer is, you don't have an antenna. Without an antenna, you can't, you can't, you can't get them. So I said to this girl, you don't have a God antenna. You have no idea how to pick up all the waves that he's sending you because you're not interested in finding out. You didn't come into my office. I said to her, if you were to come into my office and said, Remember Wallerstein, I'm struggling. Could you help me find God? Then I know you really want to know. You really want to find him. When you come into my office and you say, there is no God, means you made a statement. I'm going to cough all I want. There's no germs. Have a good day, everyone. I don't care what you think. I can cough all I want because I don't see them. I had the same thing. I, I, I spoke. I'm not going to say whatever. I spent a long time. I must have spoken to, I don't know, in the last two weeks or three weeks. I would say I spoke to probably somewhere between 500 and up girls in different schools and Shabbatones and the biggest subject that, that I was asked by 99% of the girls were Shemunigia. Everyone, Shemunigia, Shemunigia, Tzniyas, Shemunigia, Shemunigia, boys and boys, and Shemunigia and Tzniyas, and nobody walked over to me and said, how do I get closer to Hashem? How come? No one's asking me that question. Nobody walked up and said, Rabbi Wallace, listen, I got to talk to you. Can you sit down for a minute? Many girls, I sat down, I'm like, what's going on? Listen, I'm struggling with my tzniyas. I'm struggling with Shem and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with this. Nobody said to me, listen, you know, I really want to get close to Hashem. How do I do it? It was like, how do you know there's a Hashem? How do you know a person has a soul? How do you know about the next world? So you're, you're not, if you ask it that way, you're not interested in the answer. If you're interested in the answer is like, I want to believe there's another world. So Rewalski, could you please explain it to me? Not prove it. How do you know there's another world? I do know there's another world. We spoke about this many times. Because, because seeing is not believing. We, we, we all have emotions. And then that's really, this whole thing of Lush and Hara is really based on, right? It's really based on the emotional world. Because let, let, let me ask you something. If I... If Rabbi Wolfie talks to Ruvain, Ruvain's my invisible Talmud that sits here every week. Now, no, you can't go out with him. He's, he doesn't go out with girls. Anyway, so, so Ruvain's sitting over here, and they're all looking, whoever's watching live, they're like trying to see him. So Ruvain over here, I'm like, hey, Ruvain, I gotta tell you something about Shimon. He is such a lowlife. Now, Shimon has no idea I said this. How am I hurting him? He has no idea I'm saying that. He lives, Shimon lives in Israel. And I'm having this little private conversation, right, with Ruvain. But I'm saying Lashon Hara. Why is that Lashon Hara? He don't know about it. And the answer is, the same reason, If I was to embarrass a girl in this room right now in front of everyone, no matter what Rabbi Wallstein does in his life, they will not allow me into Gan Eden. Because what? Because I embarrassed her. 
But if I took a gun and I shot her and I killed her, they're going to let me into Gan Eden. I have to do tshuva and Bezdin will kill me, but they'll let me into Gan Eden. One second. So big deal, I embarrassed her. Get over it, no. Get over it, I embarrassed you. Okay, it's at the end of the day. But this girl I killed. And the answer is, because the next world, the whole next world, is all emotion. There's no physical body, physical anything in the next world. It's all emotion. So when I talk to him, to Ruvain, about Shimon that's in Israel, in the emotional world of him in Israel, I'm hurting him. Because I'm saying something bad about him. So I am hurting him, even if he never finds out about it. It's still considered Lashon Hara. So, a person has to understand that we are living right now, everyone in this room, we are living in two worlds. We're living in a physical world, right, that you can feel, you have five senses, feel, touch, hear, see, smell, right? But we're also living in a, what we call spiritual, forget the word spiritual, it's an emotional world, right? And in that emotional world, the Torah is telling us that if you hurt somebody, you hurt somebody in that world, it's not only going to be in that world, but it's going to show up in the physical world too because emotions, this is one of the riots to it, emotions drive physical. Physical doesn't drive emotions. People who have physical relationships, 90% of the time, if it's just based on a physical relationship, it doesn't end up emotional. But 90% of emotional relationships end up physical. And therefore, that's why the Torah tells us that a man can't talk to a woman, should not be talking to a woman. Why not? Big deal, right? Not Rabbi Wallerstein. Don't, don't talk too much. Why? Because if you're going to get emotionally involved with her, you're going to end up getting physically involved with her. What are you talking about? I'm just, she has problems and things and she needs me emotionally. It's very nice that you're so caring, but you need to know that if you're going to get emotionally involved with someone, you're going to end up to be physically. If you're going to be physically involved, there are a lot of people that are physically involved that are not emotional, that the people who wish they would be emotionally involved, they're not emotionally involved at all. So, so, this whole parsha of Ishaki Sazri of Yoldazaka that talks about Saras is very much based on a proof that an, that a, an emotional malady, hurting somebody emotional, will end up being physical. The same basis. It will end up causing some kind of white mark to show up on your house, to show up on your clothing, to show up on your body. And that's why it's such a terrible thing to talk lush and horror about someone. Because you're hurting them in the world, that's the world forever. Physical body goes into the earth after 70 years. If you hurt, you can ask any therapist. Not that anyone should go through anything, but emotional trauma is, lasts much longer. And, and destroys much more than physical trauma. You shouldn't have either. But a person gets slapped, okay, the slap wears off. But the emotional slap, when you emotionally slap someone, when you embarrass somebody, you make them feel bad, that's forever because emotions is the next world. And, and, and you, don't, you don't see a person's emotion. They can smile at you. They can hate you. We, we have no way to gauge a person's emotions in this world. There's no, there's no way to weigh it. There's no way to measure it. There's no MRI, CAT scan. There's no way, because it's not from this world. It's from the other world. 
emotions are from the other world. And therefore, if I embarrass you in public, the world, the me, the connected me, how does Hashem punish me? I'm embarrassing you in public in the emotional world, so I'm not allowed into the emotional world. So, I killed someone physically, so you punish me physically, but I can go into the emotional world. But if I embarrass someone in public, then me, the connected then I hurt them emotionally, then emotionally I can't sit in Ghana and enjoy the emotions of the next world, and therefore I'm stuck. So it's much worse to be and we sometimes are so nachas from you, me. We're not careful when it comes to somebody else's emotions. And that's what this week's Pasha is all about. This week's Pasha is all about to be very scared about, you know, talking bad. And you have to know that if you use your mouth, you know, a lot of people pray and pray and pray and they feel like God doesn't listen. And the answer is because you use your mouth to talk bad about people. So the tefillah that comes out of your mouth is tummy. It, it, it has no life. It has nowhere to go. Because that, that mouth, you know, the, 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 like we, I told you a story, I'm not going to say it tonight, but if the doctor is using, doing open heart surgery and the instruments are full of bacteria, the patient's dead. If he's taking bacteria and he's doing open heart and he's putting bacteria, dirty instruments, into the guy's heart, he ain't going to make it till the end of the operation. So if your mouth, which is a Jewish person's his tools to, to do an operation, to do tshuva, to pray, to daven, to help. If those tools are full of Lashon Hara and Rechilos where I tell her what she said about her and I tell her bad about her, or Mighty Shamra, I make up stories about her. So now my tools are full of bacteria. Now I want to take those tools and use them to talk to Hashem. No. The prayer will die. It's full of infection. So the first thing that we use, kol kol yakov, right? A person, we are, our powers are tefillah, our powers are davening. So the, our mouth has to be, has to, we have to be very, 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 very careful. And people, and I'm included, we lose our temper sometimes. And sometimes we feel that that person is like sort of stepping on our toes or she's getting more attention. So, you know, many times to raise ourselves, we have to put the other person down. It's Lashon Hara. Lashon Hara is... Says that the Chafetz Chaim, I just read this story, crazy story. I don't know, he had, before he died, he was, I don't know how old, in his 80s, maybe in his 90s. And he told one of his students to count his teeth. I just read this in the Sefer. So the student said, uh, I'm counting the Chafetz Chaim's teeth. Chafetz Chaim says, I want you to count my teeth. So he counted his teeth, and he, he opened his mouth all the way so he could look all the way back. I think he had 22 teeth, I don't remember the exact number. From when he got his teeth till he died, he did not lose one tooth. He had a full set of teeth in his 90s. Not, 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 not implants. A full set of teeth. And he wanted the Talmud to tell everyone else. And he said, I have a full set of teeth because your teeth don't rot and fall out of your mouth unless you use it for the wrong reasons. That's pretty crazy. Now, I know a story. There was a very big maggot. What was his name? It's a very big magid in Eretz Yisrael, very, very famous. I forgot his name, but anyway, he was a very famous magid, and when he lost his last tooth, he had dentures, but when he lost his last tooth, he no longer spoke in public. Now, he was very famous. He said, I'm not speaking anymore, and his, ch- his grandchildren asked him, Sadie, why aren't you speaking? He said, I lost my last tooth yesterday, I'm not speaking anymore. They said, but you have dentures. You can go speak. He says, no. 
says Hashem created us with two barriers to control our speech. Your lips and your teeth. He says, because your mouth is the only thing that has two gates that close. Your eyes have a gate, your ears have a gate, but the only thing that has two gates is your mouth, your teeth, and your lips. He says, because a person's mouth is so powerful and so dangerous that if it doesn't have two gates, it's out of control. He said, I just lost one of my gates. I no longer have teeth. And therefore, I don't trust my mouth anymore to speak. And he stopped speaking. It's a true story. That's how careful you have to be. In other words, dentures don't work because I guess they take them out and I don't know why he didn't think that would be. It's not a natural gate. It's not his. It's not his gate. He stopped speaking from that day on. He didn't speak because he lost his other gate. We have two gates. And sometimes it's very hard. You have to clench your teeth. Sometimes someone really hurts you. I can tell you that from experience. Someone really hurts you and it's very, very hard and you can't answer back. You have to clench your teeth. But that makes, in your mind, that gives you crazy power. gives you crazy strength. So this is the week. This is the week of 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 of, of where it talks about Saras. It's the week of Shmir Talashin. Person talking has to be very, very careful. So I'll tell you a very fascinating story that happened in Eretz Yisrael. If you want to look it up, it's in the book called Olenol um, Shabayach. And the story says the following. This is a true story. So there was a Rebetzin sitting on a bus, on an Eged bus um, in Eretz Yisrael. And she was listening to these two seminary girls who were sitting behind her. And they were talking about a friend of theirs who just became engaged the night before. And the two spoke very despairingly of the bride, expressing their pity for the unfortunate young man who became engaged to her and who had no idea of what kind of life he had ahead of him. And this, this rabbit is listening to these two girls badmouth their friends, who they're jealous of, of course, who just got engaged. Hearing their conversation, the Rebetzin turned around to the two girls and told them, I just want to say, Todaraba, I'm very grateful to you for the conversation I just overheard. Seeing the puzzled looks on the girls' faces, she said, the young man who just became engaged to the girl that you are discussing is none other than my son. That's why I have to thank you for this information. I'm going home right now to tell my son everything I just heard so that I can convince him to break the engagement as soon as possible. The two girls were horrified to think, what? They picked the right seat, right? Right in front of the mother-in-law. They were horrified to think that their, their thoughtless chatter would now cause their friends to have a broken engagement. They hurried to assure the Rebetzin, oh, we were just exaggerating. And that what they said about their friend was not really true. Don't believe what we said, they begged her. You know how girls tend to blow things out of proportion. We definitely didn't intend to break your son's shidduch, the Rebetzin, who was not in any way related to the young man. She made up the whole thing. Wanted to make sure that these girls would never again speak Lashon Hara. So she said to them, your earlier conversation was a lot more convincing than what you are telling me now. After already, now, now that you know who I am, I'm going to make sure that my son breaks the engagement. The girls burst into tears. But the Rebbitson insisted that their initial conversation sounded much more persuasive than the lame explanation they were now offering. It was very doubtful that these girls ever spoke Lashon Hara again about anyone. So, 
she made up the story that it was her son, but Lamaisa, when a person speaks Lashon Hara, you have to think about that the person you're speaking Lashon Hara about is sitting right next to you. And if she's sitting right next to you, you wouldn't say what you're saying. And the damage that you could cause, it says that Lashon Hara is the worst weapon in the world because a gun can shoot across this room. A sword, I might be able to reach you. A bow and arrow, maybe across this room. There's no weapon created in this world that could kill another person from so far than a mouth. A mouth can kill a person across the world. I'll tell you something even even better. Worse, actually. A mouth could kill a person who's not even on this world. Who's so far away that they're already in the next world. To say Lashon Hara on someone who died is considered Lashon Hara. So a person's not even here. He's an Eilam Haba. You can still kill him. You can still, still kill his neshama by talking bad about him in this world. That's how far. We don't have a weapon that can shoot to the next world. They, they tried to die a flogger to reach Hashem in the next world. They didn't make it. We have a weapon that could kill someone in the next world. This, right here. Our mouth. The Chas V'Shalom talk about someone who's not even here anymore. That's how powerful Chas V'Shalom Loshon Hara is. But on the other hand, it says, Negat Saras, if, the, if someone has saras, you have to bring it to the Kayin. And in the Pasuk that it talks about this, it says, and the Kohen saw the Nega, and the Kohen at the end of the Pasuk saw the Nega, the Tamehu, and he said, the person's Tameh. So Chazal asked, why do you have to say he saw the Nega twice? It's a beautiful answer to Chamech. She write a poem about this. And Chazal answers, why did the coin just look? Take a look like the doctor. Uh, white spot, this size, looks three-dimensional. Your tummy! Why did the Patek say you have to look twice? And Chazal says, the reason you have to look twice is before you make another Jew tummy, you better give it a second look. No person can say another Jew is no good by just looking at them once. So even the Kohen, who's a trained doctor, he's trained in being able to see Tzeras, being able to see that Tzameh, make sure that you look at that person twice before you make any decisions about that person. Most of the time, like I told you many times, your first impression is wrong. How many times you judge somebody and you find out later that you're totally wrong is a, is a story... There's a story like this um, that Shlomo Kalabach says about the miser. But um, there's a story about a miser, a famous story about a miser, and, and nobody wanted to go to his Levaya, Gansamisis. And, and the miser, when he died, right, the rub of the town went to get up to speak, and they said, Why'd you get up, Why would you get up to speak? And he said, You should know that every wedding we made in this town, you came to me for money, for the Achnasis Kala. The money I gave you was from him. He looked like a miser. He wasn't the miser. He said, and now you can't come to me anymore for money for a wedding because I don't have anything. So he's very careful not to judge people, especially today, 
we have taken Lashon Hara to a different level. And I learned about this the hard way because there's this thing called Facebook and there's a thing called the social network and there's a thing called the internet. So we're, 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 when you were a, when you were a bully, you know, they have this problem with bullying. The guy and the Jews, everybody has this problem. So in the old days when I was a kid, so one kid, the tough guy who may believe he's tough, made himself tough by bullying some other kid in the class. Okay, so how many kids could he bully? One, two, today, you send out to all your friends something bad about a girl, and 200 or 2,000, depending on how many friends you have, 200 people yeah. read that piece of Lashon Hara in one second. In one second. And it could go viral. Hundreds of thousands of people talking, hearing something bad about a person in one second. The Yesh Sahara took Lashon Hara to a different level. To a crazy level. Okay, I can talk bad about you, and maybe talk about you, and maybe you. But I can talk about three people. Now I can talk about thousands of people. And thousands of people, I can tell bad about this person to thousands of people. And we know how many people committed suicide. Girls that committed suicide, not in the Jewish world, committed suicide because they were cyber-bullied. What a, it's just a new level of Moshe Hara. That's all it is. To go online and put on your Facebook something about someone else. And their lies. And, and, and it's, my, it's, it's called cyber assassination. Killing somebody online. And that person doesn't even have a chance. What could you do? You can't stop it. You can't stop the person from sending it out. Then so you can send that and say it's not true. Nobody, nobody's interested in what you have to say that's not true. Everybody wants to hear bad about it. It's a natural, it's a crazy thing. It's a natural thing that human beings want to hear bad. About 20 years ago, they came out with a new station. All good news. Seriously. A guy came out, he said, what's this all day long? Murder, mudslides, planes underneath the ocean, cancer, you know, I don't want to use the words of all the other stuff that comes on the news. No other people are depressed. All they watch is news about everybody dying. The books they read, they want to cry. So everyone's dying in the books, right? Everybody's dying in the news. The music is very angry today. We have very angry, screaming, yelling at you in your head. Angry people yelling in their music. So the music that used to be soothing is angry. The news, everybody's dying, right? So the books are pretty depressing. The newspapers, the, the most grotesque, most terrible murders and everything is on the headlines. So how are you supposed to be happy? How is person supposed to be happy? Everything. So, so what do we learn from that? Bad news sells. Bad news sells. So this guy came out with an idea. I thought it would be a great idea for all us upbeat people. He's going to have a station. Baby born. Marriage. This guy saved this guy. Um, people say nice things about themselves. So he went out to get out. You can't have a station without advertisers. Nothing doing. Never opened up. Once they hear good news, everyone wants to say, Oh my God! I can't believe she died! Oh my God! Oh, they lost all their money! But deep down in your heart, there's a little tinge of, Oh yeah, 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 didn't happen to me, it happened to them. There's a little evil in all of us. You gotta be in touch with that. A little bit, a little bit in your head, a little bit once in a while. It's like, yeah, she thought she was prettier than me. Look what, look what happened to her. So, HaKadosh Baruch Hu knows our nature. 
as normal as normal people, right? People go to people go to Levias, right? Go to Levaya. There's 200, 400, 550 people, and everybody is like, oh my gosh, and they're talking, right? How many people go to a hospital to see a baby born? Two? Four? Two sets of grandparents. Maybe an aunt and an uncle. Did you ever announce? The Schwartz family had a baby! Okay, we want to arrange downstairs so that every two minutes, two more people can go up to see the baby. That's good news. We're not interested. Funeral? Ooh. Right? That's our nature. That's our nature. Nobody talks about how many babies. I asked somebody today, because one, one of the things that the girl that came to me today was very upset. She's very upset that, that so many people are dying. Where's Hashem? I'm like, so how many people die a day? So there's a number. You could Google it. I'm like, well, how many people are born a day? I don't know. I'm like, why don't you Google that? <laughs> I think there are more people born than are dying. How come you don't know that number? How come you didn't come in and say, wow, Shem's unbelievable? Because like, there are more people born than, than, than the people that are dying, so he keeps replenishing. So there's, there's more people keep coming into the earth. We're growing, right? The, the, the amount of human beings on the earth keeps growing, so there must be more people being born than are dying. You hear anybody like saying, oh, Hashem, thank you, there are more people being born? No. No, we just, we, just, we, just, we just want to walk around and talk about pain and talk about how evil God is and all the bad things he's doing. But nobody ever talks about kids being born or how many weddings there are a day. <gasps> she got divorced. Oh my God, they're separated. Oh, I knew they would get divorced. So many people getting divorced. Do the numbers. I guarantee you that every day there are much more people getting married than getting divorced. Anybody ever walk around and say, <gasps> so many people getting married. How come all the halls, yeah, from Shavuos till the nine days, you can't get a hall anywhere in New York or its surroundings? They're all booked already. How come nobody got up and wrote in the top, in the front of the Yated or the front of any of the magazines, Baruch Hashem, can't find the hall. God is great. No, letters to the editors. Shit of crisis, divorce crisis, beard shaving crisis, right? All these other crises. No letters to the editors. You know, God is amazing. You know how many kids are getting married? You know how many kids are being born? Do you know how many people were sick with the flu that didn't die, that made it, and they're healthy? You know how many kids? Now, I'm, I should get a patch for this too. Because I got up at that good at convention and complained about the system, Right? That's my job, to try to help fix the system. But at the end of the day, you know how many kids are in yeshiva? Thousands, hundreds of thousands of little kindalach that are in yeshiva. That after the Holocaust, there was nobody. God, everyone's talking about this girl also. How could Hashem have killed six million Jews in the Holocaust? And I'm like, how could Hashem have, after the Holocaust have Kleisro grow at the rate that it's growing. We're way over 6 million Jews today. So can I answer you for the Holocaust? No. But how did 6 million Jews make it to the Holocaust? The Greek Empire didn't make it to the Holocaust. They're all gone. The Roman Empire didn't make it that to 1944. The 
Persian Empire didn't make it. The Babylonian Empire didn't make it. How did 6 million Jews make it to 1939? Well, however they made it, Hashem, for whatever reason he did it, it's now 2014, and we're bigger than we were then. But nobody wrote a book about that. Nobody is asking the question, how could a nation that lost 6 million Jews and go through the torture that we did, how could that nation in 2014 have so many Jewish religious children and keep flourishing? How could it be? No other nation ever did it before. Nobody gives God compliments. Nobody looks at the good news. We only look at the bad news. One of the essences of the malady of Lashon Hara and Rechilas and Tsaras is because we have an Ayin Ra. An Ayin Ra leads to Lashon Ra. We have a bad eye. We're looking for the negative. So, you know, when you look at somebody, you can always see the negative. You can see their beauty. And you can see their beauty mark. Depends what you're looking at. There's, there, there's always something good to look at. There's a famous Gemara, Navi, who was walking, and there was a dead donkey that was dead for a long time, and it was full of flies. They were all over it. And, and the, and the, the Tana that was walking with him said to Eliyahu Navi, let's not walk here, let's go around. It's disgusting. It's ugly. Eliyahu Navi said, come, 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 come close. Bend down. He said, what? He said, look at the donkey's teeth. Donkeys have very white teeth. Did you ever see a set of teeth like that? So the Tana said to Eliyahu oh, it's a donkey. He said, I know, but look at the beauty of this thing's teeth. It has very white teeth. Not the flies, not the dead donkey, but the teeth. A person who trains themselves, and it's, now I'm not telling you it's easy, and I'm working on it every day, who trains themselves to see the good, will see the good in all. And the first thing you need to see the good in girls is yourself. Because when you don't see the good in yourself, then you don't see the good in others. And if you don't see the good in others, you can't see the good in God. So people, so far that I've met, that say they're atheists, and they, they don't believe in God, they are miserable. I have yet to meet a happy atheist. Where they sat down and they're just glowing, and it's like, life is great, I love life. They're miserable, bitter people. Because they don't have God, because they don't have themselves. They don't have friends. They, 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 they don't like themselves. They see the bad in themselves. You're not supposed to see the bad. You're supposed to see the things you struggle with, and you're supposed to correct them. But you got to see the potential in yourself. You have to look in the mirror and say that I can do whatever I want. What was that famous saying? Those who say I can and those who say I can't are both right. I love that saying. Those who say I can and those who say I can't are both right. The guy who says I can, he can. And the guy who says he can't, he can't. What you think you can do, you can do. What you don't think you can do, you can't do. Which leads me to my closing story tonight. I don't do this often, but I saw it today, Hashem, and in this book I bought a long time ago, the, the original Chicken Soup of the Soul. There's just one story I want to read to you from inside. Um, amazing. Amazing. I wish I could meet this teacher. And if there's a teacher in this room, you must do this with your class. I, I, I wish I was still teaching eighth grade because I would do this. So, it's called 
But I'm not going to tell you what it's called because then you'll know the end of the story. Okay. So this is the following story. There was a teacher. Uh, I'll, I'll re- I'm not going to read all the words. There was a teacher and her name was Donna. And she was a fourth grade teacher. And they sent in an educator to watch her class. And then after what he does is he watches the class and then he gives a tip to the teacher what the teacher is doing wrong and what they need to do to teach the class. Okay. So this teacher, Donna, was a... And these are all true stories. Donna was a teacher in a Michigan school, a very, very small school. So this, this guy is writing the story who's, who helps teachers. And he says the following. He says, I took an empty seat in the back of the room and watched. All the students had an assignment. What was their assignment? Their assignment was to fill a sheet of paper in a notebook with thoughts and ideas. And what were they supposed to write? Things they cannot do. So he looks at the first kid's paper. I cannot kick the soccer ball past second base. I cannot do long division with more than three numerals. I can't get Debbie to like me. Okay. Goes to the next student. I can't do 10 push-ups. I can't hit the ball over the left field fence. I can't eat only one cookie. That's me. Right? Okay. Then... He goes up to the teacher and he realizes that the teacher has given every kid to write a full sheet of paper what they feel they cannot do. So all of them are writing these papers. Lesson for a teacher. But the teacher says, I'm also going to do the same thing. So he goes up to see what the teacher is writing. And this is what the teacher is writing. I can't get John's mother to come in for, for a PTA. I can't get my daughter to put gas in the car. I can't get my son Alan to use words instead of fists. Okay? Okay. So now, they're all finished. So, she says, all the students, fold your papers, bring them up to the front, and put them in this empty shoebox. So, they all collected. Donna, the teacher, takes hers. She puts it in, closes the lid of the box, and walks out of the room, and all the, he's following. He doesn't know what's going on here. She walks out of the room. All the kids follow her. Halfway down the hall, she enters the custodian's room, rummages around, and comes out with a shovel. Shovel in one hand, shoebox in the other. The teacher marches the students out of the school to the farthest corner in the playground. There they begin to dig. They were going to bury their I can'ts. The digging took over 10 minutes because all the fourth graders wanted a turn. When the hole approached three feet deep, the digging ended. The box of I can'ts was placed in position at the bottom of the hole and quickly covered with dirt. 31 10 and 11 year olds stood around the freshly dug gravesite. Each had at least one page of I can'ts in the shoebox. So did the teacher. At this point, the teacher announced, boys and girls, Please join your hands and bow your heads. The students complied. They quickly formed a circle around the grave, creating a bond with their hands. They lowered their heads and waited. And now the teacher delivered the eulogy. Friends, we gather today to honor the memory of I can't. While he was with us on earth, he touched the lives of everyone, some more than others. His name, unfortunately, has been spoken in every public building, schools, city halls, state capitals, your house, your room, even in the White House. 
we have provided Icant with a final resting place and a headstone. He is survived by his brothers and sister. I can, I will, and I'm going to do this right away. But they're not as well known as their famous relative. I can't. Perhaps someday with your help, they will make even a bigger mark on the world. May I can't rest in peace, and may everyone present pick up their lives and move forward in his absence. Amen. As I listen to the eulogy, I realize this is the guy that's this is the guy that's supposed to be giving the teacher a lesson. As I listen to the eulogy, I realize that these students would never forget this day. The activity was symbolic, a metaphor for life. It was a right brain experience that would stick in the unconscious and conscious mind forever. Writing, I can't. Burying them and hearing the eulogy, that was a major effort on the part of this teacher. But she wasn't done yet. At the conclusion of the eulogy, she turned the students around, marched them back into the classroom, and held a wake. They celebrated the passing of I can't with cookies, popcorn, and fruit juices. As part of the celebration, the teacher cut out a large tombstone. She wrote the words, I can't, at the top, and put R.I.P. in the middle. The date was added at the bottom. Listen to this godless. The paper tombstone hung on the teacher's classroom's wall for the remainder of the year. On those rare occasions when a student forgot and said, I can't, the teacher simply pointed to the gravestone. The student then remembered that I can't was dead and chose to rephrase the statement. He says, this guy writes, now years later, whenever I hear the phrase I can't, I see images of that fourth grade funeral. Like the students, I remember that I can't is dead. This is such a godless story. Every teacher needs to do this. Now, not every teacher, all of you need to go home and write such a paper and put it on your wall. There is no such thing in this world as I can't. Because I won't, because I don't want to. But with Hashem's help, there's no such word. I was brought up in a house. That word in, in the in the Marines, there's no such word as I can't. You say you can't, they will show you that you can. My father, all of a shalom, so when he was a soldier in the United States Army, so he was this Jewish skinny kid, 120 pounds, from New York. And his first maneuvers, which is when they go out fully packed, was in Savannah, Georgia, in 140 degrees. And they were in the swamps of Savannah, full of these snakes that are this wide, crocodiles, everything that could kill you lives in those swamps. They gave all these new soldiers, my father, a Jewish kid from New York, he weighed 120 pounds. They gave them each an 80-pound backpack full of weapons and everything. And they said, you guys today, we're going to walk in the next two days, 26 miles Fully backpacked with 80 pound backpacks. And they all like, you know, you have the backpacks in front of them, and the sergeant says, put them on your back, and they're like, Sarge, we're not even in training yet. My father's like, I can't even lift this thing. You want me to carry this for 26 miles? And the sergeant said, there's something I forgot to tell you. You see, where we're going in the, in, in the swamps, there are alligators. There are venomous snakes. There are boa constrictors. There are things that you don't want to meet in the middle of the night. He says, we have a saying. Where you drop is where you stop. (laughs) So you need to know 
that we will not pick you up, we will not carry you. Where you drop, we keep going. So if you want to be there tonight with them by yourself, drop. But where you drop is where you stop. My father said, first time carrying 80 pounds on his back. He did 26 miles. And he was sleeping half the time, just walking. Where you drop is where you stop. He said, you have no idea what those... It was 120 degrees. He said, there was no way. There was no way a human being could do it. You, that's what they teach you in the army, that you could do. There's no such way as I can't. So girls... That's the physical army. And I just told this to the girls in California. That's the physical army. The spiritual army is the same thing. Sometimes in your life, emotionally and spiritually, you got to carry an 80-pound back on a girl that weighs 40 pounds spiritually. She has to carry a 120-pound spiritual backpack for 26 miles. And she's like, I can't, Rabbi Lofton. I can't do it anymore. I am done. I am finished. And I'm like, will you stop? Where you drop is where you stop. You leave up here, it's over. We're not going any further. So just like there's no I can't, like this teacher is telling them, bury the I can't in your life, you can. Do you want to? It's a different question. But you can. Because every neshama in this room is part of God. He takes a part of him and he and he blew it, he blew it into Adam. It was a part of Hashem, with Nishma Hashem, that he blew into Adam. And there's one thing about God that you need to know. God does not have in his vocabulary the words, I can't. He buried that a long time ago. There's nothing in the world that God says I can't. And he blew that into each one of us. That there's a part of Elohim, there's a part of Hashem in all of us that says there's no such thing as I can't. What a brilliant story, this teacher. What a brilliant story. We all need to bury, because it is hard out there, and there is a lot of things, and we are going through a lot of emotional things, and we have this backpack, and it's bigger than us. Sometimes it's so big, it's bigger than us. And our Baruch says, you put it on your back, and you march, and don't worry, you'll make it. Just put it on your back. There's no such thing as I can't. And that's why Kalei Yisrael is still here after the Holocaust, after the six million, after everything that we're going through with the whole world wanting to destroy us with it all, because at the end of the day Kalei Yisrael is Am Kishay Oiref. What does Am Kishay Oiref mean? We are a nation that never says I can't. What were the first words what were the first words we ever said to God, girls? Nasev Nishma. What does Nasev mean? I can. I will do it. Then we'll talk about why it's much too big for me and it weighs more than me and I can't do 26 miles. But that's Nishma. First, Nashma, Nasa. We can. Hashem said, I have a nation of we cans? Not we can't? What was the first thing the guy said to Hashem? He came to Ishmael. Hashem said, you want the Torah? He said, what's in it? You can't steal. We can't. You can't kill. Asaph, we can't. They all said, we can't. We said, Nasser, we can. That's why we got this far, and that's why we keep saying we can, then we can. If you believe you can, then you can. Then we're going to be able to see Mashiach. We're here to be a man, oh man. I'm trying to make a short announcement. There's a young lady in the back who I can tell you never says I can't, because she's been calling me 40 times a day for probably 10 months. And I'm like, tomorrow, tomorrow. She doesn't give up. So what she's holding in her hand is something very interesting. And I'll just tell it to you very fast. So, what she's holding in her hand is websites 
which you know I'm not so crazy about, right? But websites. Now, what are these websites? These websites are places where if you know, if you were in college, let's say, and there's a Jewish girl, she doesn't know anything. You just give her this card. On this card, it has Eshatora websites, all kosher, I checked it all out, all places that if she goes, might change her whole life. So we're not asking you to talk to her and give her a whole schmooze and everything. Just by the way, check out these websites. That's all. The other side has all these terrible websites they give you to check out. So these are cards. Just give them out. That's all. Just give it to someone who's not connected and it takes them to H.com. It takes them to Shabbos.com. It takes them to all these good places. You can do, you can make a Baal without just by giving them a card. Cause she's going to go to H. Oh, Israel. Maybe I'll go. It's, it's, it's a life changer just by handing somebody a card. So nobody say I can't. Everybody take a card or at least one. Thank you very much. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.